If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to John chapter 10, read the first 30 verses. The title of the message is The Good Shepherd. John 10, beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus is speaking, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They didn't particularly care for that saying. You know, Jesus claims to be the good shepherd, claims to be the good shepherd more than once. And what does the good shepherd promise to do? He promises to care, protect, guide, and give abundant life unto his people. The thief, Jesus says, comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. But the world, and some Christians don't believe that. And they'll argue that Jesus added all backwards that he didn't really come to give life but to take it away. Because there's a lot of people today, they think to become a Christian and follow Jesus means that he will steal, kill, and destroy everything that's fun in your life and worth enjoying. 
and the world beckons us, they say, come, listen to us, listen to me, and live life to its fullest. And that's what you have with a lot of advertising. Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. And that's the way it is with the world. So they say, you know, you're going to kill all our joy, you're going to kill all our fun to be a Christian. We don't want to do that. But is their promise of life true? So, for example, everyone, maybe not the younger people, but most older people, they're going to remember back they used to advertise the Marlboro Man. He was the head guy, the lead campaign man for Marlboro cigarettes. And he created this image, this American male image, the handsome, tough, hardworking, self-sufficient man. He could do the jobs that needed to get done, and he always did them with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And I used to think he was cool. I used to know a guy that my brother was friends with, kind of looked like the Marlboro Man and smoked cigarettes. I was like, man, that dude's cool. And that's what the, the image that was presented. In fact, they said in the 90s, 90% of school-age children, they knew who the Marlboro Man was. But here's what they don't tell you, though. And he's promising life to be cool, the American dream, all that stuff. Four of the actors who played the Marlboro Man, they had different ones, died of smoking-related diseases. One of them, Wayne McLaren, he died at the age of 52 after smoking for 25 years. And on his deathbed, he said this, he goes, I've spent the last month of my life in an incubator, and I'm telling you, it's not worth it. And his mother said his dying words were, take care of the children, tobacco will kill you, I'm living proof of it. So you tell me, who was right, Jesus or the thief? Because sin may be pleasurable for a season, but guess what? Then wages have to get paid, don't they? They eventually are paid, and the wages of sin we know is death. Or just to give one other example, credit card companies, they're going to promise you money on the spot. I mean, I can remember, I haven't got these lately, but I used to get these checks, these blank checks from my credit card company. And they're saying, just go on and fill in the amount for thousands of dollars. You don't have to wait. You can go on and take that trip, go out to eat, buy a car, buy a boat, whatever it is you want to do. Life is here. They promise you life to the hilt. Why wait and save? And what they don't tell you is 75% of marriage breakups are over debt. Is that really life abundantly? Not in the end. From my side, walking this walk for 30-some years, and I've known how to prosper, and I've known how to have my electricity cut off and no heat. I've been on both sides of it. But I'll tell you, for me, it has not been a life of bondage whatsoever to watch my Heavenly Father provide my needs in ways that only He could. I honestly would not trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it to live in Manhattan in some big plush apartment up there. Because Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he says, all of these things that the world is seeking after and says you have to have to have life. He says, the father will give everything like that that you need. He'll give it to you. Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what is life abundantly? Is it worrying about payments and how you're going to make them or in seeing God provide? Which really is life abundantly? Because <laughs> I mean, his provision never runs out, no matter what happens with the economy, does it? Jesus promises, his promises, we just read it, he came to earth to bring us life. And he says not just a small measure of life, but he says that we can have life more abundantly. And that word means an extraordinary amount, over and above what is necessary, lavishly poured out. 
some people will take that, all the abundant life, that that means that, you know, he came here so that we could live like President Trump. I don't think that's what he meant, did he? <laughs> Nothing against the president. But I think he's talking about we're going to experience the eternal life of God and the kingdom of God, both now. So I don't think we need to live in poverty. I don't think there's any glory to God in that, is there? I'm not saying that at all. But the kingdom of God both now and in the future. Because in the future, we may suffer loss. We may have to do with that at times. But in the future, Paul could only describe what is being stored up our inheritance that's being laid up in heaven. Isn't that where Jesus said we should be storing up our inheritance and where our hearts should be? And Paul said this, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. So that abundant life, I mean, we can experience some of it now, but it's waiting on us like you couldn't imagine. And he also went on to say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Revelations 21 and 22, they just can't really describe what all it is. They just really don't have words in human terms. I think of what heaven is going to be like, the new heavens and the new earth. Everything we see here that we think is so fantastic and we covet after and can't wait, it will be like a garbage can in comparison, won't it? Dung, as Paul said. Everything we're seeing here, the Bible tells us, is what's going to happen to it. There's nothing you're gaining here that's going to last. It is all going to burn, isn't it? In that eternal state, we hold on to that. We follow the shepherd, obey his voice. None of that's going to burn. That is eternal. Lasts forever. What is, though, this abundant life that we can experience now? And I think to start off, probably the most important thing is a relationship with the living God. Look what it says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 10 that we read. It says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the doorkeeper opens the sheep, that's us, they hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's what it says. Look down in verse 14. You're saying we have a relationship now with the living God. He says, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus says, I know my sheep and am known by mine own. And look in back in verse 27. He says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. So listen, shepherds in the Middle East up until this day are known for their intimacy with their sheep. And they would talk to them, they'd sing to them, and they were tenderly devoted to their sheep. That's the way they are. They cared about them, knew everything about their sheep. Their tendencies, their health conditions, their temperaments. They knew them inside out. And the reason they knew their sheep that well and that intimately is because they owned them. They were theirs. When Jesus says in verse 27 that we just read that he knows his sheep, and that's you and me, he doesn't just mean that he knows everything about us. He does know everything about us, literally, more than we even know about ourselves. But what he means is he knows us in the sense that we are his. He's chosen you if you're his sheep. Known you, he's saying, in the sense of before the foundation of the world is what he's saying. The ones that aren't his sheep, guess what? 
They can't hear his voice. And why can't they hear his voice? It's because he doesn't know them. They're not his sheep and they will not follow him. We read 27, but look what it says in 1026. Beginning in verse 25, Jesus answered them, these Jews, they're like, who are you? And he says, I told you. And you don't believe. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But look what he says in verse 26. He says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep can hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So the ones that aren't his sheep, they won't respond. They can't respond. They don't want to respond is the way it is. If you and I, we've heard the shepherd's voice and are following him based on what he said, that is a great reason to rejoice. It really is because you know what that means? If you've heard his voice speaking to you and you're following him, you know what he's saying here? He's saying, I know you in an ownership way. Your mind is what he's saying. And that is a tremendous blessing to know that God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, if he knows you in that way, that means he has set his love upon you. <laughs> He's not going to take it away. Tremendous blessing. And to know that God knows you, that has got to be such an encouragement because there are times in all of our lives when we experience that we just don't know, can anyone truly understand what I'm going through? And we all have times we struggle like that, no matter how close you are to your mate, your friends, your family. And that's when we can know he knows me. He knows me. He cares about me. He set his love upon me. He knows me in a way no one else can. He can truly understand what you're going through. And that's why we have Hebrews 4, one of my favorite verses. Hebrews 4 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But it says, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And he says, therefore, our high priest, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when you're struggling in a trial like that, he's saying you can go to him because you don't even have to explain to him what all you're going through. You can, you can unburden your heart. He encourages you to do that, but he knows and he knows exactly what you need to get you through. Other people, they may sympathize, but they don't know how to help you. And he's saying we can go there and he'll give us grace and help to time and eat, whatever, however that needs to be manifested. That's something, isn't it? And that's the good shepherd. That's what we're talking about today. And you go back to the beginning of chapter 10 and it says there in verse 3, it says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. It's through the voice of the shepherd that the sheep hear their name being called. And how does God do that? One way that he calls us by name is through the preaching of the word. And he might not literally call your name in that sense, but he does through the preaching of the word. When Paul went to the banks of Philippi and on that river there, Lydia, Paul's not addressing her. He's not saying, God said to me, Lydia. No, he's preaching the word. But what does it say? That God opened her heart. That's where that call came. She's being called, in a sense, by name. He knows her name. It came through the preaching of the word. He opened her heart, and there she heard his voice. In a sense, supernaturally heard his voice. The Spirit drew her to him, breaking through to her heart. And let me say, 
That's one way you can know you're the Lord's. When you hear an anointed message coming forth, does it do something to your heart or is it just words? Is it just he's up there droning on again? Whoever it is you're hearing, <laughs> have to be me. But if you're his, you're hearing him speaking to you, calling you by name through his word. That's one way it can happen. That's how Jesus' voice comes, through his word calling. You know, 1 Samuel 3, young Samuel, he's staying with Eli. He hears this voice, doesn't know what it is at first, calls Samuel. He goes into Eli's room, hey, what do you want? Eli's like, it's not me calling you, go back to bed, young man. He goes back to bed, he hears it again. Samuel, he goes back in the second time, and all of a sudden Eli realizes, hey, wait a minute, it's the Lord. You go lie down, and when you hear your name again, then you say, speak, Lord, and the next time, God doesn't just say Samuel, he says, Samuel, Samuel. And like we said before, when he says your name twice, that's time to respond, isn't it? Martha, Martha, you better listen up, right? So he says, Samuel, Samuel. And what was his response? Speak, for your servant hears. So he heard the voice of the Lord. Once he recognized that voice, Samuel always obeyed, always followed, always listened to that voice the rest of his life because God called him personally by name, and that's what he does to all of us that are his, calls us personally by name. He doesn't just deal with us as a church. He does. He speaks to us as a church. But as I'm addressing the church, if you're his sheep and his word goes forth, he's speaking to you individually. Haven't you sensed that? Yeah, he's speaking to all of us, but man, the Lord was speaking to me. His voice was coming through. One by one, he's speaking. That's the relationship he wants. He's calling you into a relationship with him, the good shepherd. And listen, there's no greater way to know that someone cares about you and is interested in you than having them call you by your name. Amen? Amen. You know, I was staying with the brother the other night, and we were trying to remember somebody's name, and we were both getting frustrated that we couldn't, and somebody's like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. And the brother's like, no, it matters to me. And I'm thinking, and it matters to me too. Because I don't want somebody thinking I don't care about them because I can't remember their name. That's one way you kind of let them know is by calling them by their first name, isn't it? And that's the way it is. I mean, have you ever had somebody that only met you once or briefly, and you introduced yourself and all that, and then you see them a little bit later, and they remember your first name? That does something to you, doesn't it? That's the way it is, but that's the way it is with the Lord. It says he calls his own. That's what it says. It says he calls his own sheep by name. A typical flock in Palestine, it wouldn't have been 100, 200 sheep. That wouldn't have been typical. A lot of families, they would just maybe have a few sheep or a big flock would have actually been 20 sheep. And they didn't keep those sheep to kill them. They kept them for their wool. And each lamb was very valuable to the people. So these shepherds, they had a devotion and an affection for their sheep, and they'd give them nicknames. They still do. And they'd talk to the sheep. And I imagine what kind of nicknames, and I never read like what kind of nicknames, but I mean, I could see them talking to the sheep. Come on, big ears. You know, come on over here, you know, eat some grass. And Wooly, what are you doing on your back again? You know, they would have had these little nicknames for them. But what would happen is those sheep, they would know their master's voice. It wasn't so much the words even, but the tone, because someone else could come along and say the same things, but if it wasn't their master's voice, the tone of that voice, they're tuned into that. 
And when they hear that tone and calls them by their name, they respond. Because you know why? They know this guy has affection. He cares about me. They, the animal probably instinctively knows that. And they know he can be trusted. He can be trusted. And that's the way it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. So have you heard him call your name? That's the question. Whatever your name is. Leonard, Terry, Greg, Caleb, follow me. And what should the response be if you're one of his sheep? I'm honored to follow you because I know I can trust you. You won't lead me in an evil way. Isn't that the way our Lord is? He's not going to take us on a bad path. When we realize that, when we think about that, if we will think about it, and we realize that God knows us by name, what does that do? That kind of takes rule keeping away, doesn't it? I'm just obeying these rules because, no, we're obeying because we know him. And more importantly, he knows us. And he's telling us here he wants to be our friend. Now, I shy away from using that kind of language, but it is. We're going to say it's in the Bible. Not like our buddy. I mean, we've got to always have a healthy respect and fear of the Lord. But he wants to be, I would say, in a friendly relationship with us. I think he had a friendly relationship when he walked with Adam in the garden. Don't you? I do. I think that's what he wants. He wants to have a friendly relationship like with Samuel. You know, here's what it goes on to say about Samuel shortly thereafter. It says, so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, they knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. They knew that Samuel had a relationship with God, heard his voice. He was on friendly terms with God. He obeyed the Lord. He walked in integrity because when his boys came along, they're like, your boys aren't like you. <laughs> they knew he was a godly man and they respected him and they knew he had a relationship with the Lord. And he did. And that's what God wants with all of us. Turn over, if you would, just a few chapters to John 15. It's what he wants with us what he had with Samuel. So if you look over in John 15, and beginning in verse 13, and Jesus says this, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And he says this to the disciples, but he's saying this to all of us. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Well, his sheep will be his friends because they will hear, they will obey, they will follow, won't they? So he's saying that to all of us. Too many times I think we view our relationship with God like we'd view ourselves if we were on a parade route and we knew the president was coming by and say one of those open motor cases. I don't even know if they'll do that anymore. And so you see him come by. Well, you're in awe of him, his money, his prestige, his office. But you're never going to think he's going to recognize you in the crowd. You're just too insignificant. He's not going to think anything of me. But Jesus is telling us here, that you can feel like you are the most insignificant sheep of all. But he's saying, it's not like that. I know your name is what he's saying. I've called you by your name. And that means that the great God of the universe is offering a relationship, a friendship to you and to me. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? I'm not making it up. I'm not trying to be like on platitudes that aren't really there. It's what we just read in the Word. <laughs> knows us by name, a smelly, helpless, frail sheep like you and I. God's condescending. I heard this preacher ask two questions 
that I thought they were very soul-searching for me. And the first one was, he said, just change places with God for a minute in your mind. Just imagine that you're God. And he said, if you were God, you're you, but you're God for a minute, and he's looking at you, would you be happy with your friendship? Would you be happy with the relationship if you were God, and he's looking at you with your relationship? Does your friendship bring pleasure to God? That's something to think about, isn't it? And the second question he asked, he said, suppose today is judgment day. And it comes up, it's your turn to face God. Would he say to you, I am so glad to see you because we've been on speaking terms for so long and now I'm glad to see you. Would he say that to you? Or would he say, I never knew you. We've never met. Because that's what he's going to say to a lot of people. He says that in Matthew 7, many. He's going to say that to many. He's going to say that to half of the virgins, to the foolish virgins, isn't he? I never knew you. Now's the time before his sheep. <laughs> we need to build that relationship. Or if you don't have one and you're in here, you don't want that to happen on that day, do you? And that could be today. We don't know when our day is going to be that we appear before the Lord, do we? We don't want to hear those words, I never knew you. So the second thing back in John 10 you know, that we want to see is how his abundant life is given to us. It's also seen in his leadership in our lives. Look what it says in verse 3. It says to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And it says he calls his own sheep by name. And look what it says on the end. He leads them out. He leads them out. In verse 4 it says, and when he brings out his own sheep, what does it say he does? He goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In verse 5, but they will by no means follow a stranger. They'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. In Western culture, the way the people do their sheep over in England, and even I saw it happen over here, they don't lead sheep. Jesus says he leads his sheep. They use dogs. So I took little John and and some of the little kids here from church to Kentucky down under, when they had the solar eclipse, probably wasn't the best day to go. Pretty crowded on the roads. But anyways, if you ever go there sometime, it's a pretty neat little place. It's supposed to be Australia in Kentucky, Kentucky down under. In the back, they have this barn, and they probably have, I guess, 50 sheep, maybe not quite that many, something like that. And they'll give you a demonstration. They'll send their two sheepdogs loose, and those sheep, when we got there, they were scattered all over, weren't they, John? And next thing you know, those dogs start rounding them up and they have them herded right up to the fence where we're standing there. And these two guys working there, they're just, you know, there they are. Well, they didn't lead them there. Those dogs were barking and nipping and scaring them. And, you know, once they get up there, those sheep, you know, those dogs are kind of hanging. They got this big eye like, are you going to bark at me again? I'm going to hang around right here. That's the way they gather the sheep in the West. But in the Middle East, they don't do it that way. The shepherds there, they lead the sheep. And I read this account, this man, C.T. Wilson, whoever he is, but he wrote this account that he was staying in some shepherd's tents in Galilee. And he said the tents, there was like 10 or 12 of them, and he said they put them in this huge circle. And they had this big space in the middle there, this big area in the middle. And they said in the evening, some six or seven flocks of sheep were brought into the camp for protection. When the morning came, they all got kind of mixed up. And the morning came, the shepherds don't go in there and try to sort out, oh, that's my sheep, get him out. No, they did. Here's what they did. The shepherds went, here's those tents, they went outside the tents. 
and they stood out there and they began to call their sheep and slowly heads pop up and then the sheep for those shepherds just get up and they all just start filing out through those tents to those shepherds. And he says, the next thing he knows, he sees all these shepherds walking in different directions with their sheep behind them, following them, listening to their voice because they, they'll be speaking to them as they're walking. And that's the image we have here with Jesus and us. And what we need to see and understand this whole imagery of sheep and shepherd is the utter helplessness and dependency of sheep. Also, in Palestine at this time, there was great danger in the desert, a lot of danger. And it took a lot of skill and care for the shepherd to lead those sheep. You go to any major city in the central part of Israel where the mountains are, you get outside the city and on the fringe, that's where the desert begins. And that's where these people have their sheep. That's where they're taking their sheep and taking care of them. And most of the year, now they'll get some rainfall that'll cause everything to come to life. But for most of the year, that whole area is inhospitable to life. Water's scarce, food is rare, and dangers are everywhere. And they'll have steep cliffs to just drop off a thousand feet down. And those sheep get away and they start wandering, bam, you're going to lose one. So it takes a lot of care. It's not an easy job for them to have. And a good shepherd, he'll lead his sheep from the front and they'll follow him and he'll give them everything they need. He'll bring them through life and to life, to all the life they need. And in case you didn't know it, we live in an environment that is a spiritual desert. So to speak, water and food are becoming more and more scarce and dangers are everywhere. I'm talking about our world we live in. <laughs> in case you didn't know what I meant. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And that's the way it is. Now more than ever, don't we need this promise of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack or want. He is a leader that we desperately need and want and can trust. What does it say in Psalm 23? He feeds us with his word. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He refreshes us with his presence, he should. Leads me beside still waters. He keeps us on safe paths. And that's what we're talking about in Proverbs. I could have read some things out of Proverbs this morning, but it says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he delivers us from danger, doesn't he? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The world is a dangerous place to live. And believe me, we need the shepherd to guide us. Because we're seeing 2 Timothy come alive every hour of every day. And he said, know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Paul couldn't have described the world that we live in now any better. And how are we going to get through this world except we have a shepherd, a good shepherd leading us and guiding us. So, you know, you let a sheep loose 
You let one loose and they literally have no sense of direction. They could have their camp or their pen right in front of them and they won't go into it. And that's the way we are. I'm saying we need direction. We need God to constantly correct us, direct us through his word. Amen. Through prayer, through his voice, listening to his voice. They don't know what to eat. If a sheep falls on his back, they will literally not turn themselves over. They'll die with their paws in the air. I mean, that's what they're like. The point I'm trying to make there is the shepherd is everything to the sheep. Literally everything. The sheep, they're totally open to the shepherd. There's nothing hidden. And they have to obey him in everything because their life depends on it if they want to live. And that's the way it is. Jesus has got to be our Lord and Master. And his voice has got to be the one that we are following. And that's the question. Whose voice are you following? Because there is very many voices speaking to us now. I mean, they're coming from every direction. And we need to make sure we're discerning the Lord's voice on a daily basis. George Barna said this. He did a study. You guys know George Barna. He's a Christian and he'll do all these different surveys. He's a statistics man. He did a study asking high school students where they would first turn in times of tension, confusion, or crisis. You got a problem in your life, you're a high school student, who are you going to turn to first when you got a major problem coming up? And he said their fathers were ranked about number 25 on the list. Mothers, you're like this, you did a little bit better, you were up to number 11. But guess what was number one at the top? Music and personal friends. That's who a teenager generally is going to go to when they're in a crisis and they need help. The guy that wrote that said, in time of tragedy, young people may be looking to the wrong leaders when coming out of the desert. Because what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say if you're a Christian youth, where you should be getting your direction from? Other youth? I don't think so. You know, Ephesians 6 is still there. And a lot of times people cringe when you read it. And I don't read it much. But it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mothers, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. I could have read Proverbs and Proverbs says you need to listen to your father and your mother. Write their laws, write their commandments that they give you. Put them around your neck and it'll keep you on safe paths. Tells the youth it'll keep you away from the strange woman that is going to bring you down. So God has blessed young people, whoever I'm talking to in here, this is the only young people I'm talking to at this point, with Christian parents. And that is, you, you don't realize what you have. I didn't have it. I didn't have Christian parents. My parents were good people. They weren't Christians. They weren't giving me the direction. They couldn't tell me. I asked my dad, I mean, I want to know, how do, how do I become a, how do I get saved? How do I know God? He couldn't answer me. So you all don't know, we, when you're young, you don't realize the blessing you have. It's nothing to despise. And that's why Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He says, well, you must continue in the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And he says, and that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. And listen up, youth, which are able to make you wise for salvation. 
I know, I've been a youth, I know how it is. It's not cool to listen to your parents and what they tell you. And who wants to be a, one of those Christians that won't do anything? But if they're leading you in the way of truth, maybe not every parent is, but they're leading you in the way of truth, obey your parents in the Lord, you need to listen. That's the way God Almighty speaks to you as a youth. That's the way He's ordained it. So the last thing we want to talk about here, the abundant life is provided. It's in the forgiveness of our sins, healing, and deliverance through His sacrifice. We see that if you look in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Also down in verse 15, he says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. In verse 17, therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Now, in the Hebrew mind, if you say something twice, that's a big deal. But if you say something three times, that's like underlining it, putting it in italics, and putting asterisks all around it. I mean, it's a major big deal. And three times Jesus talks about that he gave his life for the sheep. That is the heart of the gospel. If you've ever wondered about the goodness of the shepherd, this should answer all of your questions. Here is how much he cares for us, for you. The true sacrificial love of the shepherd, willing to die a terrible death for us dumb sheep. The ones constantly going astray and he has to bring back. And in verse 11 he says, I'm the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And it's like as if we're sheep and we look up and say, Lord Jesus, my shepherd, what are you doing on the cross? What is you, the shepherd, what are you doing on the cross? And he looked down on us and say, I'm dying for you, my sheep. Dim-witted sheep. So in the cross, we see the love of the Father for the Son. It reaches its fullest expression. Now, God always loved His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but God's heart, so to speak, must have burst with love when He witnessed the supreme sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Look what it says in verse 17. Therefore, He says, my Father loves me. It's not like He began to love Him then, but He's saying, He loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. It's like... You see your own son or daughter, they make a sacrifice to do something for somebody to help them out, and you didn't ask them to do it, and it just kind of does something in your heart, doesn't it? And the father seeing the son, he didn't have to die to prove his love or obedience to the father, but he did that. That was just his demonstration of his obedience. He didn't have to prove it, but it did, and it just had to make the father's love just burst at that point, if I could say it that way. You know, like I said, he never would have loved his son more than when he was hanging on Calvary. But that doesn't, on the other hand, it doesn't diminish the love our Lord Jesus has for each one of us individually. So some ministries, they get hung up on that. Like the only reason he died was for God's glory and kind of leaves us. in. No, we're not left in the background of that. He was showing his love and devotion for the Father. And the Father is extremely showing his love for him. He loved him at the point that that took place. But remember what we read in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends. So he didn't just die to prove his love and obedience to the Father, but because he had a commitment to us. His love for us. He loved you. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. That's our shepherd. That's why he is the good shepherd. Praise God. And he's not just concerned with giving us forgiveness, is he? It's also healing and deliverance. A true shepherd was concerned about the total welfare of his sheep. They also not just fed and watered, they would take care of their wounds. If they got hit on a jagged rock or a bush or something, scraped them, I mean, they would bind up their wounds. They'd take care of them physically. And as God led Israel, his great flock, into the wilderness, he made a promise to them, didn't he? He said, if you are my obedient sheep, I'll take care of all of your physical needs. Isn't that what he told them? That's Exodus 15, 26. We're talking about his sheep will hear his voice and follow him. And he said, if you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you, your good shepherd. And did Israel lack in the wilderness for healing? They never did. He kept his word. So listen, John chapter 10, it's just an explanation to talk about that he has care and concern for physical and spiritual needs, both as our good shepherd. John 10 is just an explanation of what happened in John 9. And do we know the story in John 9? That was the man that was born blind. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he's born blind? Jesus said, that's not why he's blind. It's that God, he's one of my sheep and God is going to be glorified in him is what he's saying. And the picture is painted in John 9 of the good shepherd's concern for one of his sheep. So he meets the blind man. And what does he do? He anoints his eyes with the mud and gives him a command. Go wash. Now why did that man obey, that blind man? He couldn't see Jesus. He didn't have a clue who he was, did he? He said that later. But he heard what? He heard the voice. That's all he could do was hear a voice. And he heard... The voice of God speaking through a man. And so what did he do? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He obeyed, didn't he? And that was no small thing where he had to go. If you look on a map where he started and where he had to go to the pool of Siloam, that was up and down stairways. That was a hard journey for a blind man. But when he did that, when he obeyed through those difficult ways, following the shepherd's command, following the shepherd, he was healed. And when they asked him what happened, the Pharisees, they are all, all over his case. He explained, a man called Jesus. He yeah, knew who he is. A man called Jesus anointed my eyes, told me to go wash. So I obeyed what he said, and my eyesight's restored. And they try to talk him out of that. We're saying, John chapter 10, they're thieves and robbers. And he says, my sheep will follow them. And here these guys are. He's a sinner. They tell him twice, come on, this guy's a sinner. Don't you know that? He says, I'm not listening to y'all. Y'all the religious leaders. How could he be a sinner? He said, I'm not buying that. And look, you're in 10. Just look back in John 9 in verse 24. Look what it says. So they again, they called the man who was blind and they said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Well, one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. And then they said to him again, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And they reviled him, and they said, you're his disciple. They may as well have said, you're his sheep, but we're not. We don't want anything to do with this man. 
you're his disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow. We don't know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they didn't want to hear. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And now you're teaching us. And they cast him out. That's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders do. They didn't care for him one bit. And Jesus heard. Here's the good shepherd. When he heard that they had cast him out and when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, well, who is he, Lord? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said unto him, you've both seen him, and he it is who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. What we see in John 9 is Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's caring for the health, both spiritual and physical physical of one of his sheep and he's contrasted the good shepherd is contrasted with the pharisees that are the hirelings and like i said they could care less about the welfare of who would have been one of their sheep and what do they do with one of that should have been one of their sheep they cast him out cast him out look in john 10 again look what it says verse 4 And when he brings out his own sheep and goes before them, the sheep, they follow him. That's the blind man, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then look down again in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and look what it says, and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. And he knows us completely. He cares about us. He knows all our faults, our weaknesses, our pains, our sicknesses, and yet we're still his sheep. All he asks is that we follow his voice. Amen? Amen. We're going to have to make corrections. He's going to correct us. He cares for us. He gently cares for us, but he does that and demonstrates his power in our lives. Turn to Isaiah 40. I want us to read this. I'm saying he cares for us and he cares for us with power. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He's a shepherd, but he's going to come with power. He says in verse 11, he'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. 
So you need his power demonstrated in your life. The shepherd will do that for you because he is the good shepherd. He'll gently lead us, but he'll come in our lives and manifest his power when we need it. That's what he's promising right there. The question is, can you say the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not lack. Are you listening to his voice, obeying his word? And do you know his friendship, his leadership, and his loving care? Because that's what he offers us. So he wants us all in here to be in communion with him, the shepherd, following him, walking with our good shepherd. Because that is where our safety and our security lies. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. And Father, we thank you once again for the revelation of your word and, and how you paint a picture for us, Lord, that you are the good shepherd and we just need to be sheep that are just willing to follow and obey your commands. And as you do that, Lord, you'll lead us into green pastures, still waters, and paths of righteousness, and roads that will not lead us into danger and death. And we thank you for that, Lord. I just ask you'll help us all to be willing to listen to your voice above all the other voices that are speaking to us today. And I thank you that we heard you today and we will continue to follow. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.